Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Once again, today I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the jobs report and what the Fed is going to do as a result. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. In collaboration with their broker partners, they designed Power Plus, a next-generation broker technology platform that offers a fast, intuitive interface with features and functionalities to empower a best-in-class lending experience. With an enhanced guided workflow, the loan process is more efficient, accurate, manageable, and convenient. The platform speeds up the process at every step, minimizing the time brokers spend on the platform. At PennyMac, being tech-forward and human-focused is why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah, on Jobs Friday, one of my favorite days of the month. Jobs Friday, and this one was a, a doozy. So let's let's jump into it. What happened and what does this mean? Well, number one, the Federal Reserve is very mad. The unemployment rate fell in this report, and uh, this is not what they want. Um, they want pain. They want the labor market to cool down. They want uh, employers to have an easier time finding labor. So uh, the unemployment rate fell. We had more people leave the labor force, uh, which is a natural trend that's been going on for some time now. Um, so it's it's not good news for the Fed, even though wage growth is actually noticeably uh, falling, which is probably what they want to see. But uh, yeah, they they are they are bent on making people go unemployed, as their forecast has has uh, foretold us for next year, a four point four percent unemployment rate. When you're working from three point five percent, that's almost a one percent swing. That is a job loss recession to go with everything else right now. So. The Fed isn't happy, right? Too many people are working, too many people are spending, uh, and, and they feel like they're not being taken seriously, that we don't want you people to work and spend. You guys have to cut it out, make our jobs easier. Uh, inflation has to come down. You have too much money, uh, you're too well employed, and that needs to change. And so far, it, it has not happened yet. I can see that if you are in the mortgage industry and you were hoping, okay, they're looking for labor, they're looking at this jobs report, and you were thinking, if it just went down a little bit, if, if we could just get some cooling there so that maybe they wouldn't keep hiking rates, and now you see this report, are you thinking, oh my gosh, we're, we're in for another big one? Well, the market is priced in uh, the rate hikes to get to where the Federal Reserve wants, right? So you know, uh, we're, we're near the end of the rate hike cycle based on kind of what they're talking about. So, you know, one and a half percent left, basically we're, we're kind of there. So uh, it's the, it's the terminology that the federal reserve is using that, you know, it's, it's confusing people because again, for myself, my six recession red flags are up and they've been back tested going back many decades. So this is a time that we want to, keep an eye on labor and 
They are very adamant that they want the unemployment rate to go up. The labor force pool, people aren't coming back in in, in, in the numbers they probably would like. Uh, again, this goes into a bigger uh, theory of mine that the uh, immigrants and robots never took all the jobs. We lack population growth and business is suffering for that as well as they should. Because unless you're pushing major immigration, doesn't matter how many babies you have, those kids can't go to work at one year old. You know, so uh, if we don't have the supply of people coming in, uh, there's going to be parts of the U.S. that lack labor. And I think this is a good wake up call for a lot of businesses who were not pushing for immigration. Uh, and this is the cost we have because elderly Americans are leaving the workforce every month. The, the labor force participation rate that people have been using for many years is, to me, completely useless. Uh, there's not this missing workforce that's sitting in a cave like a pack of dwarves that are going to come out and and, and, and do jobs for you. Uh, uh, I think this this is a great wake-up call. And, I, and for part of it, part of me is actually liking the fact that labor is, you know, putting a hit to capital. And if you're a business owner, you have to look at yourself and go, wait a second, I don't want to pay up. Guess what? If you don't got the people, you got to pay up, right? And the it, it's it, I think it's impacting the smaller businesses much more aggressively uh, than the bigger businesses. And uh, this is what happens when you're told a pack of lies for a very long time, that robots are taking all the jobs and immigrants are taking all the jobs. And now you have to pay up much more than you want because we just simply don't have the labor force pool, which has been forecasted for many decades to happen. And uh, we finally got caught, just like a lot of things in our uh, society. Supply was not as prevalent as people have thought, and we paid the price for it, whether it's housing or whether it's labor. Um, this is the case. And the United States of America does have a very massive young replacement workforce. But as I have always stress out to Sarah Wheeler here, who lives in Wichita, Kansas, you got a lot of old people there, not a lot of young That's people. true. And uh, the parts of the U.S. that did not have prime major labor force or any kind of migration, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, to to get that labor. So the Federal Reserve is now forced to try to break up the labor market. And this problem does not simply go away on its own because people age, they retire, they leave the workforce, and then they die. And that's the reality of life. Uh, I always say economics, if death and sex are not part of your economic model, you're, you're not doing it right. Right. So uh, um, uh, it's a good lesson, I think, for a lot of people to learn, because some people were told that, well, once the stimulus checks ends, all these people are going to come back to work. No, they're not. Right. <laughs> the trend of civilian labor force growth has been slowing down for many years. And we're here and we're dealing with this. And this is for I think for me, uh, people who have known me for many years, this has been a big part of my work. Going back in the previous expansion where a lot of people said that, oh, there's millions and millions of Americans sitting at home since 1945 looking for work, but not looking, you know, functioning adults are working. Most of them are always working. They always have been working. This myth of the missing labor because people are looking for work, they can't find it. It was garbage. It was garbage in the last expansion, which was the longest job in economic expansion history. And it's still garbage today. And, uh, and it all revolves around this labor force participation rate that's not back to 2000 level. And people think that people are just sitting there for 23 years, not working. 
buying homes, renting, or paying gas, but they're just not working. It's just not the case. And a, a part of me actually enjoys the fact that labor does have some wages uh, growth and people are, are getting paid. And of course, as soon as that happens, oh no, we can't have wage growth. No, that's a, that's not a good thing. We can't have an economy run hot. We've got to we got to we got to break this, right? Uh, people making more money is a bad thing. So that's where we're in right now. And of course, uh, unemployment rates falling. Uh, and, and remember, this dynamic is going to be here for the rest of the century. Other countries like Japan and Europe and China, their prime population growth for prime age people are falling. We have replacement workers, so we have the demand that needs. Uh, uh, more labor, and uh, it's a good fight out there. And I think uh, it's it's a very good wake up call. And uh, uh, if you fell for the robots killing all the job immigration act, that's on you. And we're sitting here on Jobs Friday with a three point five percent unemployment rate, with job openings over ten million, jobless claims at two hundred nineteen thousand, which is historical, you know, very low level. And the Fed is trying to break this by raising rates as much to kind of take the to cycle out. And so far. It hasn't killed the labor market yet. So that's my question. What can the Fed do now? So they're they're not going to stop doing what they're doing until they see this labor, uh, until they see the jobs numbers get worse, the unemployment rise, right? So what else can they do? It, this is an interesting dynamic that we're testing right now. What if the labor pool is just keeping people employed more than they should, which is uh, a good talking point of mine for a while, that... Uh, We've seen this in Japan where they have a very low unemployment rate and they're in and out of growth recessions all the time. Uh, are we getting into that phase in the United States of America that uh, the population growth slowing has finally caught up to us to where, uh, uh, I mean, would the Fed destroy the U.S. economy just to get more people unemployed? I, I think there's limits to what they can do, uh, especially if the growth rate of inflation comes down. Uh, but it, it's it's a it's a good test to see that you know does sh- increase in the short term rates. Now, of course, the the sectors of the economy that are very sensitive to uh, rates rising. Of course, the housing industry is already in a recession. We already see jobs be lost there. Production is down. Sales are down. All these things are happening. Just hasn't happened for the United States of America yet in the general economy. And here we are. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it's a, it, for me, it'll be an interesting test case because all six of my ref- recession red flags are up, but the labor market is holding on to that labor pool uh, um, and we're still growing jobs. But at some point in the future, demand gets hit big enough uh, to where some, uh, we, again, we see this in the housing sector. We see this in certain areas. We, we saw warehousing jobs be decline in this report. Of course, companies like Amazon and others have been saying we hire too many people. But in terms of the general economy, uh, if everyone is working and everyone's wages are enough, can rates go high enough to destroy that? The service sector industry, that's where the layoffs would happen first. We're not there yet, but we do see some uh, weakening in some of the data. Of course, the world economies are are, 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 are in a wreck. Uh, China's growth is slowing. Europe is in a war with Russia. Uh, uh, energy uh, costs there are biting into uh, uh, demand, and what what I think occurs is that you know when interest short term interest rates rise, credit card interest is increases, the banks make more money, the consumer suffers, the Fed keeps on pushing rates higher to try to break this thing because I think uh, 
Americans making more money is not what they want to see. Americans working with a low unemployment rate, especially under four, is not what they want to see. And it's probably frustrating for them today to, to look at that unemployment report. And, you know, there's a part of me that says, hey, listen, the Fed wants to um, take your jobs away. Look at them and smile and tell them to off. Right. You know, this is a uh, this is the United States of America. People working are a good thing. Uh, and uh, we're we're just at this tug of war right now, just like we've always been this tug of war. What 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 breaks the economy? But going out in the future again, um, uh, there's just a lot of companies that are going to hold on to their labor as much as they can because after this whooping of fighting for labor, this bad taste in your mouth that you had to pay up more than you wanted, and then you don't want to be in that situation again. Uh, uh, so you, you, you hold on to your labor, what you actually need as long as possible until you have to cut. And I think that, you know, some of the warehouse, you know, you see Amazon, uh, kind of, you know, uh, not, not growing their warehouse business anymore and, uh, telling people to work from home. It's just a way to kind of keep the employment levels up as much as they can. So, uh, you don't get into this tug of war battle with other companies. Well, let's talk about the larger picture then and and talk about, you know, you said definitely you have your six recession red flags up. Um, what are the chances? What, what's the timeline for seeing? Because jobs are one of the things you're looking at, too, right? So what's the timeline in your mind for a larger recession? Well, here's here's the two data lines that I'm only tracking in terms of the economic cycle now. Job openings, um, of course, uh, uh you know, the America's recovery back model in April 7th, 2020, one of the things that we highlighted during this recovery phase is that job opening should get to 10 million. It got up to near 12 million. It had a big drop, about 1 million. We're back down to 10 million here. Job openings falling and jobless claims, what I, what I target is the 323,000 level. And when jobless claims go up, that means people are getting laid off. If they can go up in a, in a, in a more consistent fashion, that generally means the entire U.S. economy is in a recession. And I'm kind of looking at these data lines and I'm thinking, you know, we really probably have to get this data line, the jobless claims above 323,000 on the four-week moving average, not a headline. And we're going to get a hit on this data line because of the hurricane. So exclude that going out in the future. And then that's it. Uh, 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 you, You got the final nail in the coffin of the expansion. And I think at that point, the Federal Reserve changes their rhetoric uh, they have to talk tough. They have to. The, the last thing these people want is American buying homes, the stock market to go up, and people be employed. They do not want that. So you have to push this uh, uh, jobless claims number above three hundred twenty-three thousand on a four-week moving average. And right now we're at two hundred nineteen on the headline print. So we're we're still we're still away from that. And one of the things that people have to realize is that. You know, we got all the jobs back. You know, I think 22 and a half million jobs have been created since the lows of COVID, take, overriding the 22 million jobs that were lost. But if there was no COVID, we'd have much higher total employment levels. Uh, and it's just harder to find some of that labor in parts of the U.S. And trust me, people aren't sitting at home uh, uh, not working because they, they don't want to. It's just that the labor force growth has been slowing for some time now. And uh, just like the total inventory and housing, we got caught in a very bad spot. We got caught again here. Uh, COVID had over a million deaths. You know, I think roughly like 400,000 plus were prime age uh, labor force people. Uh, so you got a hit on that side. And uh, so we're, 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 
we're starting to see some cracks on the labor market, but not there yet. When job openings fall, jobless claims rise. Those are the two data lines that you should track. And of course, the first one, job openings had a noticeable decline. We're almost down 2 million now from the peak. Uh, and, and rate of change always matters. And then it becomes a trend. So those are, at this point, that, that's it. That's what I'm looking at. And again, when interest rates rise, interest margin increases, people pay more of their money, disposable income into paying interest. And, uh, uh, you know, that bites into uh, the buying power. Then, of course, with energy prices rebounding again, you know, these things uh, eventually take their toll. Just not yet. Uh, not yet on the labor market. So we'll keep looking for that. Where's the 10-year yield? What is that telling you about uh, where rates might go to? Well, we had a uh, big reversal in yields. You know, we uh, we went from 4% down to 35 and now we're back up to 3.875. Um, again, the, the Fed wants housing to cool down uh, noticeably. And uh, even though housing is still in a recession, the labor market for construction jobs are still holding up. We always have to remember that out of the 8.1 months of supply that the builders have, eight months of that are homes that they haven't even started on yet or are under construction. So they have to keep that labor in there until those are done. And if rates are still high and new home sales are, are, are not rising, they'll let go of their labor then. We're not there yet on that side of the equation. But uh, uh, rates are up. Rates are back at 7%. The mortgage-backed security spreads are um, really wide uh, on a historical basis. Uh, we're still seeing new listings decline on a year-over-year fashion. We're starting to get, I think we're about you know uh, a few weeks away from when we traditionally see total inventory decline. But again, you know, part of my inventory call for, for 2023 that you know we could get back to 2019 levels as a country is based on the principle that when rates go up, uh, uh, housing demand slows, inventory can accumulate. And that's what we're seeing this year. Most of the inventory growth is just basically accumulation of homes that haven't been sold. Uh, uh, and uh, the homes that are priced right are selling quickly. We're still going to have over 5 million uh, total home sales this year. But uh, it, to get back to 2019 inventory levels, which again was the four decade low before 2020, you need traditional listings to grow. So, what I don't want to see next year is that we see year-over-year declines in new listings working off 2022 data, which isn't that much to start off with. So uh, I find that troubling. Again, first world problems, Americans are doing well, homeowners are doing well. Uh, The whole major supply premise that when rates get up to 4%, massive supply is going to hit the marketplace and that didn't happen. We're working from from a very low, but as a country... You know, we're not back to 2019 levels, but we still have an effective pricing system to where, you know, uh, sellers are going to have to reduce the price to entice buyers. You know, for, for ourselves, for myself, our, our family, we just sold a, a, a beach condo and it took longer than, than normal, but uh, eventually the, the price did buy, uh, bring in a buyer. So homes that are being priced right can sell. And to me, that's a functioning marketplace. You know, when I think about my 2022 forecast with home price growth decelerating from 20% all the way down to five and a quarter, or 5.2%, that obviously didn't happen. We're probably going to end the year at seven to 10% total home price growth this year. Um, One of the things uh, uh, that I I look back on is assuming that because sellers had a lot of equity, they wouldn't be so stingy. 
in, in cutting their prices, but that isn't the case. But one thing we have seen is that you know four to five percent mortgage rates didn't do the damage that I that I thought it would do, but five to six percent uh, did, and then six to seven percent really really does. Uh, so what you what you don't want to see again is is a traditional seller who is a buyer of a home just say I'm not I'm not touching this forget this you know um, uh, and this doesn't happen for everyone there's a lot of people who are just selling their homes and buying another one because that's not uh, too much of a big deal but uh, again I, I'm not pleased to see the declines in new listings because for me it's all about choices and having a more functioning marketplace especially after the 40 percent plus move we've seen in home price growth which was savagely unhealthy, just like you know the early part of this year, where we just had too uh, too few homes, too many people chasing too few homes, and now rates are up, and the effective pricing on on, on on sellers needing to cut prices is a positive in my mind because uh, what we saw was very detrimental to the housing market in 2020 and 2021. Wow, well that was a lot, <laughs> a lot of good information. Um, so I guess, you know, you were on a panel at our Housing Wire annual event, um, which we had this week. We're filming this on Friday. Um, and Selma Hep from CoreLogic was on there. And we were talking about home prices, right, and and where they had gone. You just gave a recap of that. How long is it going to take to get those home prices back to where you think it's, it, you know, we're going to get some more supply? Here's my problem with my work. And Based on how I look at housing, housing is 19% uh, overvalued in terms of keeping in line with my 23% home price growth model for 2020 to 2024. So I don't want to be the lazy coward that I see some people doing and just making up percentages of declines and not talking about inventory channels. I think that is a gutless way to do things. I could easily say, well, I need home prices to come down to 19% to make my model work. Okay, no. Uh, you need you need sellers and buyers to provide you the data needed to have price cuts to bring home prices down to a certain level. And right now, uh, for the first time, we're actually seeing 6 to 7% mortgage rates are, are doing this in, in, in the effective of the seller side. Uh, and, and that needs to take its course. And uh, mortgage rates getting back to 5% actually stabilize things. So we have rate variables to work off of here to where 6 to 7% mortgage rates will effectively force sellers to cut prices. 5% keeps it stable. Uh, and uh, again, we, we just need a functioning housing market. And the problem is when rates go up so much so fast, uh, a normal human behavior would be like, wait a second, that was a lot of drama. Um, and I always refer back to the Federal Reserve in 2013, where rates just went up one percent, three and a half to four and a half percent. They thought that was uh, way too much. Uh, here we go from two and a half to seven percent, and uh, um, you know I, I understand why the Fed said housing reset. I mean, think about. I mean, this is you know being part of team higher rates. You know, being part of you know the housing market is unhealthy to savagely unhealthy. Uh, we lost the functionality of housing. And that's the reality of it. Uh, we finally paid the price of not having enough product. Again, I always tell people, if you go back to the year 2000, which I showed at the uh, Housing Wire annual event, you go, you look at inventory, it was at 2 million active listings. It rose all the way to 2.5 million in 2005. Then we had this major credit bur uh, bust. and We went from 2.5 million to 
uh, 4 million and uh, demand went down noticeably because the credit market went down that facilitated the demand. We don't have that here. We just have a good old fashioned brawl between buyers and sellers and higher mortgage rates. So really, we're all dependent on what sellers do here. Um, because the seller is the one that finally makes the decision. It's not the buyer, right? The buyer could, uh, you know, uh, meet the seller uh, request, but it's the seller that's in charge. And the one encouraging news is that, you know, six to 7% mortgage rates actually get some of the sellers to, to start discounting. And uh, that facilitates some transaction. Again, homes that are priced right are moving. And that's a good thing. So we're just, we're waiting here to see how this plays itself out. Uh, um, but I think the fact that that is occurring, even with total inventory levels still low, is is it positive? Because the quicker you get to a more balanced housing market, a B and B, boring and balanced, the better it is. And what we had in 2020 to 2021 was just a detrimental uh, event. Uh, inventory crashing down to all time lows, <laughs> with over 330 million people. Mortgage rates low, demographics good. It was it was a very unhealthy recipe for home price growth. And we paid the price for that. Lots going on. We want that boring and balanced. Okay. Well, what are you looking at next? Well, for me, it's, you know, we're, we're getting toward the end of October and uh, the end of October is when the seasonal data falls. And right now uh, the, the growth in listings actually is through accumulation of weakness and demand. Uh, so uh, that's what happens, especially when, when rates get to six to 7%. Buyers just go, eh. so uh, it, it'd be interesting to see how do sellers react to the traditional selling uh, season in terms of uh, do they take their listings off for the rest of the year? Uh, does, how, how far does that decline? Does it stay flat or do they just keep the homes of the market and hope somebody buys it? Uh, uh, we just have a, such, a, such a unique dynamic now that uh, the new listings data was already declining at the end of June. Uh, so the total inventory data doesn't do that until really toward the end of October, November, December, of course, Halloween, Thanksgiving, December, New Year's, you know, uh, even though our, we do have positive sales data historically, actually, a uh, little known fact that still not a lot of people know our best home sales data in the last 10 years have always come in the fall and winter, not the spring or summer. Um, but, uh, uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see that dynamic because we've never had this before. This is the fascinating aspect of housing. We've never had rates jump up so much so fast, but also with home prices rising uh, uh, in this year. So this is a, as we call it, a savagely unhealthy housing market, and it's running all the way, you know, from when I started that in February this year all the way to the end of the year. So uh, I I kid around that I'm gonna have to bring out my John Wick pencil uh, and, and you know, use that to describe the housing market, a bloody pencil, because that's uh, the market we're, we're in right now. So uh, that, that to me, toward the end of October, we'll see uh, how, that, how that works out. It'll be very interesting. Uh, uh, again, the last existing home sales report, total inventory fell a little bit. Uh, um, but uh, again, as long as we have a functioning pricing market, where demand gets hit and people are are actually cutting prices to get things through, I think that that's a positive. Uh, but we really we don't we don't want total inventory to collapse October, November, and December, and then start anywhere near the spring, and then all of a sudden spring new listings doesn't 
pick up. That that is like my nightmare scenario. I got to think of another crazy term if that happens next year. That is not what I want to see. So uh, I'll be I'll be waiting to look to see how the uh, October day and also the world markets just you know the literally the UK pension funds were like about to implode. Talks of nuclear war. We're dealing with uh, liquidity issues in the bond market. So there's a lot going on. And, uh, and then every day we hear the Fed, we're not cutting rates ever. You need to lose your job. Uh, don't look at us. Our, our, our job is harder because you're making more money. Stop it. You know. So we're dealing with those weekly dynamics as, as they all are kind of united. And, and I, I, I hearken people back to when mortgage rates fell from six and a quarter to 5% and the stock market rallied. The Federal Reserve, as a united front, uh, said, listen, we have to go out and tell people, no, 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 we, we're, we're not cutting rates. We're going into a recession and we're not going to do anything. We need to make you feel the pain. So I give them credit for that. They've they've all actually stuck together. And I think part of that is just buying time, right? Uh, they're very aggressive. They're, they're buying time to let some of the inflation data. We see some of the growth rates of inflation of pricing for Shanghai ports to Los Angeles are coming down. We're seeing the used car index come down. We already see the front line of the uh, uh, rent growth starting to come down. So we see multiple variables of the growth rate of inflation coming down. Uh, hourly wages are actually coming down here. So there, there, there is some change and shift. I just think their language is going to be like this until they see the job market crack. And then they're trying to do this to create a soft landing or stuff like that. And again, it, you're dealing with world economies and stuff that you really don't have too much control in. Glad you brought up some of those global market factors that are happening because it seems like right now the news is pretty bad. You know, if you look at especially the idea that there might be some nuclear action somewhere, um, you know, you would think that that in and of itself would would cause a, a little bit of a slowdown in the growth rate of some inflation, just people being scared. But so far, it's been pretty slow. Yeah, you know, um, the the Russian invasion definitely was the curveball event of this year, just because you know so much of the uh, uh, commodity inflation that we saw uh, pick up right after that, but some of some of those things, wheat prices have come down, energy prices have come down, even though they've come up recently. Um, no matter what, if the world economy goes into a recession, definitely uh, some of the inflationary factors fix itself. Uh, but you know, you, you just you just don't you don't know what's going to happen with the Russian Ukraine situation. Or China versus Taiwan, or stuff like that. We're dealing we're dealing with variables that just don't really work with economic models. Uh, so you just have to go with the flow. And of course, the whole UK pension funds about to blow up. You know, these things again. A stronger dollar is more problematic. And the Fed has kind of already said, "Hey, listen, it's not our problem; it's your problem." You know, we're not going to care about the stronger dollar until it impacts our economy. Uh, so again, when you're the only really superpower in the world, you have that privilege of doing it. And by the way, the dollar did not collapse again. Much love to Tom Brady, who called it one of the greatest, <laughs> number, the greatest rallies in the dollar history by doing his laser eyes, uh, um, on May 10th, 2021. But, uh, again, the world just can't handle a stronger dollar and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out toward the end of the year. I do have to add some context in case people have not seen the John Wick movies a hundred times, uh, as I have since they're constantly on cable. But uh, yeah, John Wick killed a bunch of people with a pencil. <laughs> so I have a bloody pencil costume, and I wore it for a few years ago. So uh, the the housing market deserves a John Wick bloody pencil because uh, it's savagely unhealthy, and uh, we have 
like historical dynamics that we've never had to deal with in modern day history. And it all happened this year. Um, so the setup was there because home price growth really took off January, February, and March. And rates, uh, even though rates were rising, it took some time for it to kind of bite and cool some of the stuff down. We saw this happen in 2013 and 2014, uh, 2018 and 19, where the growth rate of pricing falls. Happens all the time when rates rise, except here we're working from like 20% growth levels and we're working our way down as it should. This is very normal. This is This has always been the case. Whenever rates rise, the existing home sales market goes under 5 million and some of the monthly press, we're seeing that again. Um, but again, the big difference is that the total inventory data is still very low. So we're working with a smaller pool of sellers out there. And there's only parts of the U.S. that have like 2019 inventory. Like those areas like Boise and Phoenix, those areas off my savagely unhealthy market list. Like if you're in 2019, you got you don't, you have enough supply to have a functioning marketplace. You're good. Just like we were good in 2018 and 19, even though it was historically low inventory, that was a very functioning marketplace. I'll never forget, I was speaking at a conference in Orange County in 2019. Real home prices were actually negative briefly, right? Adjusting to the equivalence of rent. And I was like, this is wonderful. And everybody is like, no, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. It's a functioning marketplace. Price growth is calm. This is a good thing. People have choices. Days on market are good. Nobody liked it. And then, of course, all hell broke loose in 2020 and 2021. And I guess that's like you, you pay the price for not having enough product. We definitely paid the price with home price growth being so abnormally hot in, in this period. Logan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of that with me. It'll be interesting to see what the Fed does and if it's really the Fed who has the, the John Wick pencil right now, if they're the ones who are wielding that and being like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely Halloween could have a lot of good uh, gory uh, costumes <laughs> events to talk about housing. Uh, we love it. We, we will have to post some of those. Um, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again in a few days. Thanks so much. Pleasure is all mine, Sarah Wheeler. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.